The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello everyone and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today I am delighted to talk to Yusuf Oxton. You are most welcome, sir. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. It's uh, an honor to be here, Paul. So thank you for having me. Thank you. It's great to see you, Yusuf. Um, Yusuf Oxton, also known as Russell Oxton, was an ordained Anglican priest, that's in the Church of England, for 12 years. After five years in parish ministry, he spent seven years of ministry in healthcare, working as a hospital chaplain in East London and as a hospice chaplain in Kent. In 2010, he made the life-changing decision to embrace Islam and become a Muslim. Since then, he worked for a charity, a Quaker charity in London, before retraining as an English language teacher. He married his Nubian Egyptian Yemeni wife and moved to Cairo. After a year in Egypt, he moved to the Sultanate of Oman, where he has lived and worked for 10 years with his wife and two children. About his conversion to Islam, he wrote, and I quote, Never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined becoming a Muslim and moving to Arabia but ultimately, when Allah calls you from the deepest part of your heart, you have a choice to make. Deny your authentic self or embrace the change. Dive into the unknown and embark upon the journey. It has not been without its trials, but becoming a Muslim was the best decision of my life. Alhamdulillah. End quote. Marvelous uh, words there. And just a couple of words from the Quran. The Quran says, you will find that the nearest in affection towards the believers are those who say we are Christians because there are priests and monks among them. And because these people are not given to arrogance. That's Quran 582. And in another place we read, it is Allah who guides whoever he wills, and he knows best who are fit to be guided. Quran 28.56. So, Yusuf, um, could you share something of your spiritual journey as a priest uh, and how you came to be interested in Islam? Sure. Thank you, Paul. Um, Bismillah. I think what I, what I want to do is I just want to start by sharing with you, you mentioned I'm here in Oman, and subhanAllah, I was actually here as a child. I lived in Oman for two years in the mid-70s. My father, my late father, was working here, and uh, never, never in my wildest dreams did I think I would actually be here now, mm -hmm. living and working with my family, having my children here, um, and returning back to Oman. So, Subhanallah, I do feel like my life has gone full circle. Absolutely. Uh, returning to this wonderful land. Um, but yes, I think um, 
my earliest memory of Islam was actually here in Oman. I was about five years old and we used to have an Omani, a traditional Omani Jabali man, somebody from the mountains. And he would um, basically be some kind of protection or babysitter for us um, during those times of some trouble in Oman in the mm. mid to late 70s. And I have a very vivid memory of this man with his kanja knife and his very long hair um, going into prayer, praying the salah and going into sujood, prostrating himself in front of the door where we were. And that's one of my earliest memories as a child. So mm. I think it's very fascinating that mm. that has remained with me through my journey. Uh, and, and now 40 okay. years later, um, alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm here, back here as a Muslim. Amazing. So that's just a, a memory. Um, my own journey, I think, was quite a gradual journey. I would say um, consciously it took about two, two to three years before I finally made the decision to embrace Islam and declare the Shahada. Um, as you mentioned, I was ordained in 98 as a deacon. 99 as a priest. Um, after, after five years of parish ministry, I'd always been attracted to healthcare chaplaincy during mm. my training. So I was lucky enough to be uh, appointed uh, chaplain, just having a problem there, uh, at uh, a very busy, a very busy East London hospital um, where there was a very high Muslim population incredibly diverse multicultural area of London and I spent five incredibly intense mm. years working there as a chaplain in this cauldron if you like of uh, of a lot of issues a lot of challenges both social um, and in, in terms of diversity really Mm. Um, and I met really it was the first time in my life that I was living alongside Muslims. Many of my shopkeepers were, were Muslim. Mm. Many of the staff, many of the patients, the visitors were Muslim. My office was right next door to the multi-faith prayer room. Oh. So on a daily basis, I right. would see Muslims very quietly come mm. to pray uh, very quietly. Uh, in a very dignified manner, uh, I found I found the the salah a very dignified, simple mm. act of worship, and without any any inkling that this was going to impact me at all, mm -hmm. um, I was impressed. I was impressed by so many Muslims that I I met over that five year period. Mm -hmm. um, so that really was my first daily. Um, exposure to Islam through the mm. people I met. Mm. Um, no, no real uh, theological discovery or, or reading was going on at that point. Um, it was just that that daily exposure to to so many Muslims. Um, mm. Mm. And uh, I think um, what I would say that during my training, I was lucky enough to be chosen to travel to India on a student exchange. So a training priest from India came to Birmingham and I was chosen to travel to South India oh. to study 
for about four months in a seminary. And it was a, an amazing occasion. And I remember a very well-esteemed, highly respected priest, um, Reverend Canon Andrew. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Wingate. I'm not sure if um, he is still alive. A, a wonderful man. And he had spent many years in India exploring interfaith dialogue. And he took me on a visit to a village in a very rural part of India. And he took me to the local mosque and we sat down and we watched the Muslims of the village come together and to pray. Mm. And again, that had uh, quite an impact for me to watch these villagers uh, come together and to pray the Asa prayer together. And <clears throat> Andrew and I simply watched and again, I absorbed that experience and it was placed somewhere in my heart right. uh, to be remembered at a later date. So mm. it was these moments, I think, that had an impact. But bizarrely and ironically, it's when I left London um, and I moved to East Kent, mm -hmm. which at the time had a tiny, tiny Muslim population. Mm. Um, it was here working in the hospice which was a wonderful experience for me. I felt uh, incredibly affirmed and loved by the staff and by the patients. It was a very intimate, quite intense experience working in a, a small hospice. On day three, I decided to take out my clerical collar um, as I felt it was no longer really appropriate in such a, a small, intimate place where everybody knew me as Russell, the chaplain. Right. Uh, the collar, the collar just, I, I began to see it maybe a hindrance rather mm. than a help. Um, so I was known as Russell, the chaplain, and I spent an amazing year there. And it was at this point I began to start reading um, about Islam. Oh. Um, I started reading um, the Quran. Um, when I left London, the palliative care team of whom I was an integral part, gave me some money as a gift, and I bought a English translation of the Quran. Gosh. And I took that with me to East Kent, mm. and it was during that year that I read the Quran. I began with Surah Maryam, mm. and I began to expose myself to Islamic books and reading, so just to say, sorry, just to say, to interrupt, yeah. Surah Miriam, yes. of course, if those who don't know, is the chapter of the Quran named after Mary, who is yes. the mother of Jesus. So yes. it's highly significant uh, that you as a, a Christian chaplain should read uh, a chapter named after, as I say, the Mary, the mother of Jesus. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, mm. and I have to tell you, Paul, it was very revelatory for me mm. to be, to be uh, you know, reading these words um, about uh, uh, Mary and, of course, Jesus, Isa. Um, mm. And it was a, a revelation. 
And so on my days off, and, and I'm sure you'll smile about this, Paul, on my days off, I would travel to London and I would go, and I hope they're still open, I would go to Altaqua Books um, mm. on, on Baker Street. Daryl um, Tucker, yeah, they're, they're still open. I was there several days ago. Still, still quite... Mm. A, a great a great bookshop and mm. also um having known east london i would travel to zamzam books oh, yeah. on Green street um, in, uh, in east mm. london yeah an excellent bookshop uh, there was a very there was a young man who worked there who was such a great guide for me who would recommend books for me to read mm. and, and so there i was traveling incognito um, <laughs> to to london and i mm. began to slowly build up uh, an Islamic library uh, back home Interesting. Uh, and so I began to feel that my heart my heart was beginning to shift mm. and I really do feel primarily it's been a journey of the heart mm. um, Allah guides whom he wills as you mentioned and there was definitely a beginning of a shift and what was an interest was becoming a very intense dialogue with Islam and mm. I began to see that this was taking me deeper into a, an inner conflict with my with myself right. um, and and you know again Allah works uh, in mysterious ways I returned to East London I was appointed a chaplain at another very large East London hospital with again a, a very very large Muslim population. So mm. I found myself back in that very diverse, vibrant East London. Um, and it was here really that the momentum began to really uh, take hold. And I knew that I was on a journey that could be very, very significant. And that's when I began to reach out Right. So at that point, what, did you even think about the end uh, of your journey being conversion to Islam? Or was it just a, uh, an uh, a increasingly intensive spiritual ex um, exploration? Or, or, uh, what, did you have a clear end goal at that point? No, I, I think what I knew was happening was there was a, something very profound was happening spiritually mm. for me. Mm. Um, and I was beginning to ask questions. But at that point, I, I had not really envisioned that end point, if you like, of becoming yeah. a Muslim. Um, but I did begin to reach out to uh, a small number of people. And I would like to mention a dear, a dear brother who sadly suddenly passed away about five or six years ago. And he was Idris Taufik. Oh, yes. Now, Idris Taufik was a, a former Roman Catholic priest from mm -hmm. England. Mm. He left the priesthood and became a teacher for a short time and then himself converted to Islam. And I discovered him on the Internet. Yeah. And I, I, I remember sitting in my office at the hospital, sending him an email, feeling I was taking a little bit of a risk um, sending this to him. And I sent it and many days went by. And then suddenly I got the most beautiful long pastoral response from wow. Idris Taufik. And it was very caring, very wise. Mm -hmm. And it helped me a great deal. And can you believe it, Paul? Three years later, 
Subhanallah, I, this is a crazy story. I was with my wife in Cairo. We were walking into a shopping mall in central Cairo and out walks Idris Taufik. Wow. Um, he had moved to Egypt. Mm. And yeah. by chance, by Allah, we walked into him and I said, hmm. I'm Russell. Uh, hmm. You may not remember me. You sent me the most beautiful response to my email. And here I am. I'm now a Muslim. Three years later, I'm living in Cairo. And we had the most wonderful conversation on the streets of Cairo uh, three years later. So I, I'm, I'm he, he would have remembered you, of course. I'm sure yes. he would have remembered you. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I was forever grateful for him. Um, and, and then um, you and I met through London Central Mosque. We did. And I used to go to, I think it was called a Saturday circle i think or, or oh, you know, the, 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 the circle at regent's park yes. mosque still meets there every saturday at 3 p.m and i i go um every now and then occasionally talk there as well yeah the islamic so it, it was actually founded by uh cat stevens uh yusuf islam back in 1977 and you know it's been going every saturday since without fail since 1977 <laughs> and you you've taken you've taken the words from me paul amazing because Mm. Uh, one of those Saturdays, by chance, mm. um, it had not been announced. I was uh, in in the in the auditorium, and suddenly there was a lot of noise, um, a lot of discussion. Somebody had entered the room, oh, and in cool. walks Yusuf Islam. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I met I met Yusuf Islam um, at the end of one of the talks. Complete surprise. There was a, a huge crowd around him, and I waited yeah. very patiently uh, for him, and he had noticed me. And so, again, I approached him, and again, um, he was a man of great humility. He is. I found, he is. I found him to be a very humble man, mashallah. And he, right. he also yeah. gave me some advice, because at that time, Paul, I felt there were one or two um, Muslims who were putting great pressure on me to convert in that moment. And right. I, did not, I did not feel ready. No, and, no. And Yusuf, Yusuf Islam gave me great advice, you know, ultimately this is between you and Allah. Take your time, listen to the whisperings of your heart, follow your heart, and you will know when you're ready. And it just steadied, it steadied me at that point. Good advice, good advice, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, mm. Because I think what I can't underestimate, um, Paul, is when I took my ordination vows in 1999, I took them extremely serious. Um, I anticipated a lifelong service to the church as a priest. Um, being a priest was everything to me. Mm. Um, I became a, a practicing Christian when I was a, in my late teens, and I became very active within the Anglican Church. And uh, it became... Just to, just to clarify, sorry to interrupt. Yes. The Anglican Church, yes. for those who don't know, is uh, also known as the Church of England. Yes. It's the yes. official established church of Britain. In other words, it's, you know, the, the head of state, the King Charles III, he's the head of the church. And, uh, you know, the bishops sit in the House of Lords and, you know, it's the official church of Britain or United Kingdom. Um, so it's not some kind of sect or something. It's, it's the, the church. <laughs> and, and, uh, and you were obviously a priest in, in that church um, for, for some years. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, just very, yes. yeah, yeah. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. Very mainstream, you know, institutional church. I was in the heart of it. Um, but uh, I, I think, um, yeah, so, so for me, um, 
being a priest was incredibly important. And I want to say, you know, here we are, Paul, um, it's Holy Week for, for Christian uh, brothers and sisters across the world. Um, and I met some incredibly holy men and women within the church who I continue to deeply respect. Some of them have remained friends. And so I'm very mindful today as we journey through Ramadan mm. that there are many Christians around the world who are now journeying through Lent. So, so my priesthood meant everything to me. And so when I did begin to contemplate um, converting to Islam, I would say there was a six month period where I felt that I was on the verge of a complete breakdown. I, I was I was living this public life as as the priest. Um, I was performing the priestly duties and pastoral duties of a chaplain. Mm. Um, I was talking and being alongside many Muslims on a daily basis. Um, and and then I would go home and I would continue my reading. Um, in the hospital, there was a very small prayer room at the top of one of the buildings, very high with amazing scenes of East London. And I would walk into the prayer room and quietly read from the Quran in English wow. whilst I was still a priest. Wow. And so I recognized that something very profound was happening and I was beginning to feel like I was living a double life. Mm. And it was an extremely challenging and difficult time for me. I, I did I did seek out a therapist who also uh, was able to help me um, process and disentangle these emotions and thoughts that I was feeling so that I could begin to see a way forward because it was emotionally, mentally and spiritually um, a moment of crisis uh, mm -hmm. for me. Course. extraordinary story so what, what happened what happened then from this extraordinary crunch time uh, I can't imagine yes. what you've gone through um, yeah yeah so uh, again often it's people in places that have a profound effect on you and late one night I was the on-call chaplain in the hospital and for some reason the Muslim chaplain was unavailable so the senior, the senior ward sister of A&E, Accident and Emergency, called me and said there was a, a young Muslim woman. Um, her young child had been rushed into A&E um, who was critically ill um, due to a, an unforeseen accident. Could you come and offer pastoral support? Mm. So I went quite late in the night um, into the hospital. Um, the ward sister directed me to the waiting room, which was right next door to the resuscitation room. And I met this young woman with extraordinary noor on her face, incredible light on her face. And she was there in a moment of profound crisis for her. And yet she was still able to smile with gratitude uh, at my presence. And we began to exchange conversation as we waited and she asked me if she could have a prayer mat a sajada mm. so I then rushed up to the the prayer room rushed back down and I handed her the sajada and she was deeply grateful and then completely naturally completely spontaneously 
she moved the furniture aside. She took the coffee table aside. She laid out the prayer mat and she prayed. And I stood in the corner silently as she prayed. It was an incredibly moving moment. She was a young, young Algerian woman. Uh, and she prayed and she was most, most grateful. And then we waited for her husband to arrive. He was working. I think he had two or three jobs in order to keep uh, his family. And so he arrived about an hour later. Mm. And again, he had great poise and he was able to share with me his belief as a Muslim at this critical moment for them and their family, what what believing in Islam means, what believing in Allah means. And he talked about surrender. Mm. He talked about tawakul, trust in Allah. And so we sat and we waited. And then eventually the uh, medical team said they had stabilized their child. And so I guided them. Um, I walked them into the resuscitation room where they could see their child. And the mother had the most incredible face of love um, that a mother can have for her child. And they stabilized uh, their child and it felt right after about two or three hours, it was the right time for me to leave. And as I left, she handed me back the sajada. And I said, uh, no, I said, I would like you to have this sajada and inshallah, may this sajada be used by yourself and in years to come by your child. Um, and and uh, eventually, I think that night, they were transferred to a, a more specialist hospital. I think it was the Royal London or Great Ormond Street. I phoned up some days later, but of course, because of the code of confidentiality, all I knew was that the child had been stabilized and was out of mm. danger. Mm. But you know, Paul, I often think about that family, where they are now, how is their child, and really the gift that they gave me, really, the gift of their presence at that critical moment. And she and her husband left a, a really lasting impression at that moment. And again, it just gave me that extra sense of courage and of momentum that I was on a, I was on a journey and there was no going back <laughs> from this, that I was getting ever, ever closer to Islam. So what was it? Was it the, the, the sense of the profound, the, the sense of surrender, of the, the kind of deep spiritual aspect to Islam, um, trust in God, uh, the integrity, the, uh, the great, uh, you know, the, almost the innocence of it, um, yes. devoid yes. of, uh, you know, elaborate ritual and panacea. Yes. This was a very pure human act before the creed. It was these kinds of... Uh, difficult to put into words, but somehow this touched you clearly at a deep level, spiritually, in a way that hadn't <clears throat> touched you before. Uh, and um... yes. I, I think you, you've put it very beautifully, Paul, because I think what I, what I discovered was, was this sense of dignity and simplicity and surrender. Mm. Um, you know, a, a, dear, a dear colleague and friend of mine here in Oman, um, a recent convert to Islam, she talked about Islam softening the heart Oh. Um, and and the clearing the, the the cleaning or the clearing away of the rust mm. from our heart and mm. and there is not to idealize it at all but there is a there is a purity and a, and a sweetness 
to to Islam that I discovered um, through through the worship, through meeting so many Muslims. And mm. and you're right, Paul, that I can be anywhere in the world. I can walk into a mosque. I I can walk into a, a Muslim home, and I know that the prayer is going to be the same. Mm. And I think there's great great unity and a sense of community in that. Um, now, if I'm a Christian and I'm somewhere in the world, before I go to church, I have to ask myself some really interesting questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Do, I, do I want to go to the Catholic Church, the Anglo-Catholic Church, uh, the Liberal Catholic Church, the Pentecostal Church, the Methodist, the Baptist, the Evangelical, the Charismatic? Now, some people would say that's huge diverse, diversity and it's great. But for me, for me, at the time, the evangelical wing of the church was in the ascendancy. Mm. And I was beginning to feel increasingly marginalized um, by these voices who actually felt very far away from where I was philologically. Um, and I, I found in Islam this, this great uh, unif uniformity and simplicity mm. in the worship mm. and this direct, direct relationship with Allah. And I think that brings me on to my my first Arabic word. That oh I yes, yes. We're going to, now going to move on, hopefully, to some uh, theological, <laughs> so to speak, uh, in terms of because obviously uh, the extraordinary journey of the heart, uh, the way yes. the, these experiences touch you at a deep level, and that's yes. absolutely extraordinary. And thank you very much for for sharing these precious experiences. But there's also another more intellectual. Uh, uh, side where because you, you, you as a Christian would have believed I assume in the Trinity and in the inca incarnation and the atonement and so on so how did you in your evolving journey process this because these would have been obstacles you know believing in the Father, <coughs> Son and the Holy Spirit and so on but uh, Tawhid uh, one of the key words is 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 very different and, and a very simple concept of the unity and the oneness of God so how did you move in that direction towards the, this uh the, the, these different concepts yeah so i <clears throat> i think that you know there i was paul hold away in east kent before i moved back to london i began my reading and so i came across this belief in tawhid as mm. you say the divine oneness uh the the divine unity la ilaha illallah mm. and i began to explore what this meant for me uh, as a as a christian mm. And as I began to explore this Islamic belief, which is at the heart of, of Islam, yeah. it made me then, of course, explore who Jesus, who Jesus was for me and has been uh, up to that point. Um, what was Jesus in my life? And I, I think Muslims sometimes underestimate the profound relationship that Christians talk of when they talk about the living Christ within them. Um, I think, uh, I may be wrong, but I think St. Francis of Assisi talked about uh, Christ has no eyes but yours, Christ has no hands but yours. And I, and I think Christians do believe that they have a very dynamic living relationship with, with Jesus. And I certainly did. Um, Jesus was at the very heart of who I was as a Christian. But as I began to explore Tawheed, the absolute oneness of God, of Allah, something very interesting happened because I began to then, of course, uh, explore uh, this idea of Jesus 
uh, as the son of God. And what did that mean in the New Testament? What did it mean in the Old Testament? Mm. And, and I began to then, in a sense, go back. I went back and began to explore the beginnings of the early church, the various Jewish and Christian sects that were operating at that time who had varying beliefs, varying narratives mm. of who Jesus was. And so I began to discover um, the Nazarenes and, and their belief that Jesus was indeed a prophet. I began to explore that the powerful dominance of St. Paul in mm. the early church. And, and I just want to talk just for a minute about Paul because um, Paul had a, as we know, had a religious experience on the road to Damascus and it changed his life completely. Um, but of course, Paul was somebody who had never met Jesus. Mm. He had a religious experience and we must never, never mock or denigrate people's religious experiences. I think they're true. I think they're real. Uh, and so I don't doubt for a minute Paul's conversion experience. But I think Paul then became, as we know, a very zealous convert mm. uh, to Christianity. And mm. I think it was Paul who began to, I think, widen Jesus's ministry and mission to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. Yeah. by redefining what son of God meant. Mm, if mm. you look at Hebrew scripture, if you look at the Jewish tradition, um, I think I'm right in saying that the son of God originally was anybody who was a man of piety, a man of great knowledge, a, grand of, a man of great respect and holiness. Mm. Yeah. And so you could uh, define Jesus in that respect, a man of incredible piety and knowledge, uh, somebody yeah. very special, but not literally the son of God. I think uh, Paul wanted and wished to widen the mission uh, to, the, to the Gentiles. And I think obviously they may have struggled with this Jewish concept. And so I, I would argue that Paul had a significant uh, part to play in the direction of mm. uh, the early church in the understanding of Jesus as literally, literally yeah. so, uh, the son of God. A, a figurative son of God. Uh, even Adam in Luke's gospel is called yes. the son of God. I think in chapter three, yes. David's right. called the son of God, King David. Lots of people are called son of God, but in yes. the figurative sense, as you say, as a righteous, pious human being alone. But the metaphysical sense of being the literal metaphysical son of God narrowed down just to one human being jesus and then him, him being exalted to this divine <clears throat> state that's completely different even though the same word is used there's a transformation from the original jewish matrix yes. to a hellenistic cultural matrix and you say something that giza vermesh the jewish historian at oxford yes, has yeah. spoken eloquently about um th this kind of cultural transformation that occurred when you yes. move to the pagan greek or greco pagan world and where there are lots of sons of god uh, exactly. and they're, they're divine figures and you know they, they pop down and visit human beings and you know you get this sense of mm, i can see some some familiar themes operating here um, exactly yes yes and, and i i think as you say in greek mythology for example there are a, a wide number of i don't know for want of a better phrase god man figures who have superpowers yeah. um and, and i think this would have really um helped uh, non-Jews at the time relate 
to Jesus as this son of God figure. Um, so I, I think as I was doing my reading, as I was unlearning and relearning um, a variety of different narratives, I began to reflect upon Jesus uh, and who Jesus was for me. And what was interesting is as my belief in Tawheed uh, began to take shape, um, I felt that Jesus began to shift in my heart and he took his rightful place mm. as one of the most revered prophets within Islam, peace be upon him. And when I did this, suddenly this beautiful, deeper reality and depth of the oneness of Allah um, became uh, very apparent. It was like a door opening um, mm. and Jesus, bless him, peace be upon him, moved to the side and I could see directly um, at the reality of, of Tawheed and, and then bowing, uh, going into Sujood and <laughs> surrendering oneself to mm. Allah. And, and of course, bearing mind, Paul, that in healthcare chaplaincy, I was dealing with a lot of human suffering, mm. um, either through long-term suffering or through trauma. And I was encountering suffering on a daily basis. And my my belief in the incarnation of God made flesh, of of Jesus and God being among us, one of us, was actually no longer helpful for me. It was no longer supporting me in the face of such great suffering. And sometimes people would challenge, challenge me um, about this. And so I began to see there was two reactions to all of this suffering. I could deny the reality of God and walk away, or I could surrender. Mm. And, actually, and actually, the great paradox is that it's through surrendering and um, letting go of our ego, letting go of the nafs, as we would say, uh, <clears throat> and bowing and, and prostrating ourselves to the mystery, the beauty, the mystery, the otherness, the oneness of Allah, that I felt I had gone into a much deeper relationship uh, with my God at that point. Absolutely extraordinary. Very beautifully put. And I, I like the way you, <clears throat> you describe it as a process of unlearning and relearning. Yes. So you're unpicking uh, what you knew and then revisiting it and re... And that's exactly what I did as well. You go back to the original sure. sources, you find out, well, what, what actually happened? And just relearning the story and developing a new narrative, perhaps based on more solid uh, grounds. And you mentioned the very, in the very earliest communities there was a great diversity of beliefs um, about Jesus and salvation and so on. And, and this is often, uh, when I first encountered that fact, I found that uh, revelatory because I had assumed wrongly projecting back my own beliefs that from the beginning, they were all, the Christians were all Trinitarian Christians and, and so on. And of course, it's not true. Um, it's only much later that these um, doctrines evolved uh, over a long period of time. So it was quite, quite revelatory. And then realizing the similarities between these early Jewish Christian beliefs and Islamic beliefs. In fact, Absolutely. they are actually pretty much the same. And when it comes to who Jesus was uh, and his ministry and, and so on. And this has been noted by even some uh, prominent Christian scholars like Hans Kung, uh, yeah, famous yes. Catholic yeah. theologian, who uh, noted this and saw that as a, a basis for mm. a rapprochement uh, between the different faiths. But 
um, that's another another story. So a fascinating uh, journey. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. I, I can really echo you. I you know I rem I remember very distinctly standing in the corner of Zamzam Books, and mm. it was like my my head was exploding with with these alternative theologies <laughs> um, nice. and alternative narratives that were never never taught to me in seminary. Really. Um, so suddenly I thought, wow. This is a moment, you know, the light bulb <laughs> was, yeah. was coming on. And, and as you say, it was a, a relearning and a rediscovering of, of, of those early days. And, and, and how through persecution, through marginalization, certain groups were, of course, eventually silenced. And, and there are many, many swathes of texts that have been lost to history, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, particularly about james the brother of jesus yes. uh uh who was literally the brother of jesus not some kind of you know um who was the head of the church um yeah. after jesus uh ascended to heaven and he was very well known all the independent historical sources tell us whether it be josephus or even the book of acts and the bible that he was a pious torah observant jew for years and he yeah. he didn't see his brother as god obviously and and you know he he didn't abandon the torah like some of the hellenistic yeah. christians under paul's influence did he yes. he, he was a faithful torah observant jew and and that that torah observance that uh observance of the sharia if you like in the jewish context is missing i would uh, i would suggest from uh christians conceptualization of who jesus was he was a torah observant jew yes. and that means a lot because that tells us about his theology, his Absolutely. attitude to God, uh, yes. that he would have submitted himself to God, of course, uh, as you say, uh, and and that that key facet of him is 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 completely gone, and, and largely under the influence of Paul and the later emerging Catholic Church, which yes. became a Gentile religion, yes. and, and actually quite anti-Semitic. It actually, ironically, ended up uh, rejecting the original faith, uh, ironically, and adopting a very different uh, Roman. A gentile kind of religion um yeah yeah and and, and I, I i do find it fascinating I, I'll, I'll just digress for a moment you talked about jesus you know jesus was a palestinian jew mm. from the middle east um, yes. but, but of course you know um over centuries christianity in a sense was adopted as this gentile um you know, western religion uh, but uh, prophet muhammad peace and blessings be upon him came from the same region Exactly. Of course, a fellow, a fellow Arab um, yeah. coming from uh, Arabia. And yet, and yet, of course, um, that is seen as a very foreign, very uh, alien uh, uh, religion. Yeah, it's very ironic. I mean, I, 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 in, in the past, when I when I was a, a Christian, you go into churches, you'll see pictures of Jesus and Mary as Caucasian individuals. Um, who were just like you know other w white Westerners, um, and and the sense of Muhammad, peace be upon him, as an alien other is very ironic, as you say, because Jesus was an Aramaic-speaking Palestinian Jew. He was not a white guy um, from the Middle East, the yes. same part of the world that Muhammad, peace be upon them both, are from, and and the 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 the, uh, the spiritual bond and brotherhood between the two is very clear once you take away all the. Uh, the external wrappings that have been put around them by in the West, and they are very similar. And yet, one is seen as uh, one of ours, another one is seen as very other. And there's a great irony there, and a great injustice yes. Uh, yes. as well. Absolutely, I, I, I think I think there is. I would I would agree with you absolutely. Um, so I think, uh, and and also uh, as I was reading and learning, of course, 
I, I revisited the Gospels and the authenticity of the Gospels, the authenticity mm. of Jesus' words. And, and again, you can argue that, uh, that the Gospels uh, were not, uh, in fact, eyewitness accounts. They were, they were written much, much later. And so I began again to question this word authenticity. Mm. Um, of those of those early texts and and so this you know during those days of reading in Kent as as a hospice chaplain there there was this um, change going on intellectually and and of course from the heart mm. uh, the heart and the mind were coming together to to go through this this change and I also began to question the idea of priesthood itself um, I, I find within the Catholic tradition and the Orthodox tradition and in many ways the Church of England um, that the idea of priesthood, it's a very clerical structure. It's very hierarchical uh, with archbishops and bishops and priests. And um, I went through quite a long, uh, rigorous selection procedure before I could even begin training to be a priest. And then ultimately you have this very grand ceremony as I did in Winchester Cathedral, yeah. uh, a very grand uh, liturgy. And there's this moment, of course, as you may know, where the priest, uh, the, the bishop, places his hands upon your head. And it's at that moment, uh, you are quite literally changed mm -hmm. and you are then ordained. And I began really just to question this separateness, this otherness of the mm -hmm. priest and the laity. Mm -hmm. um, and how uh, the priest is very much placed on the pedestal. Uh, you are the priest in the sanctuary, the laity are in the congregation, uh, and uh, you are very much the leader. And, and there is a mystique, I would say. There is a mystique around priesthood. Um, and when I began to really get close to Islam, what I found was an incredibly egalitarian uh, religion where respect is earned through knowledge mm. and through another word of mine, taqwa. Mm. Um, and I think taqwa, a sense of piety, of God consciousness, of right. the fear of Allah really being in your heart. And anyone within Islam can lead uh, the, the salah, the, the communal prayer, but it's normally somebody who is deemed to be uh, perhaps a senior person in the community, but a person of respect who is respected and a person of knowledge. Yeah. There's no, there's no um, strange uh, ceremony that you have to go through in order to lead the prayers. Um, we, are, we are one standing shoulder to shoulder. I can be next to a professor on one side. I can be next to a road sweeper on my other side and mm. we are one. Mm -hmm. and, and that really uh, struck me as well um, when I was on the cusp of, of, of saying my shahada. And, and perhaps I'd like to share my story of where I said my shahada. Please do. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> so at this point, I knew that I was on the very cusp of converting. Mm -hmm. So I made the decision to go and visit, go on holiday to a Muslim country. Ah. So the country closest to England and the cheapest to travel to was Morocco. Ah. So I went, I went to Morocco 
and I went to the ancient city of Fez oh. in uh, northern Morocco, a very famous place of pilgrimage through history, mm. very famous for the Al-Karawin then university and, and mosque. It's known as the City of Saints by mm. many. Many, many great sheikhs, including, I, I can't remember his name, but there was a famous Senegalese sheikh who died. Oh, yes. In yes, I can't remember. I know you mean, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, sheikh Jelani, I'm not sure. Anyway, but um, it, I, I went to Fez, and it was the most extraordinary two weeks of my life. Wow. Um, I, I arrived in Marrakesh. I spent uh, a day and night in Marrakesh, and then I traveled by train. It took about six or seven hours by train all the way to Fez. And I arrived and I went into the ancient uh, Medina, an incredible place of baraka, of, of blessing. And I think it was the second or third day, I then decided to walk into a, a mosque, an old mosque in uh, the Medina. And I went up to this young man and I said in English that I would like to become a Muslim. And he could only speak French or Arabic. Mm. So he called his friend over, uh, Taha, still a lifelong friend of mine. And he sat me down. There was about eight or nine Muslims around me on the floor in a circle. And uh, he asked me some questions. And I said, yes, I'm, I'm ready to say the Shahada. Um, so I recited the Shahada in English and then in Arabic. He then taught me how to perform wudu properly, the, the ablution, uh, the washing of oneself before the prayer. Mm -hmm. I then joined them for the duhur prayer, the lunchtime prayer in the mosque. I then immediately went back to my hotel room where I uh, washed the, the gusul, the, the, the washing, and that was the moment. Mm. I, I'm a Muslim in Morocco, in, in Fez, a place that I had known for many years through my interest in Sufi, Sufism. Um, Fez has an amazing biannual festival of sacred music. Mm. So I'd, I'd heard of Fez even as a priest. Um, so there I was in Fez, I'd become a Muslim. And um, I, I share a funny story, the next day, I had some quite severe neck neck pain, mm. so I wanted to go to a public hammam, a public a public bath for a massage and and a wash. So I went back into the Medina, and two small Moroccan boys uh, directed me to a, a public hammam, and I walked in, and I I was met by this this huge, very muscular uh, Moroccan man who proceeded to give me the most rigorous <laughs> and, and rigorous massage of my life. And I was, I was lying, I was lying flat mm. on a cold stone floor and my, my bones were breaking. And I literally thought this is my second day as a Muslim and I'm going to die here yeah, in a hammam. Yeah. In <laughs> uh, and I thought, how, how ridiculous is this? <laughs> um, but I, but I felt a million dollars afterwards, and I said to him, I'd become a Muslim, and he was over the moon with happiness. And I then said to him, I love Morocco. Mm -hmm. And he then, he then scooped me up. He lifted me up. And as you might remember, Paul, I'm a very slight man. He mm -hmm. lifted me up 
and my, my legs, legs were dangling and, and he said, uh, and, we and we love you, Morocco loves you. <laughs> um, and so I, I came out of that hammam spiritually, but also now physically, I, I just felt completely and utterly alive and, and uh, refreshed and, and on a new path. Mm. I was now on a new path. Um, I spent the rest of my days uh, worshipping, being in the masjids in Fez. Uh, I then uh, decided to change my name. You don't have to change your name. Mm -hmm. I decided to change my name to Yusuf. Um, uh, why, 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 why Yusuf? Sorry? Why, why did you choose the name yes, Yusuf? So, so Yusuf um, was interesting because at the time much much later my then uh, uh who's to become my mother-in-law um her favorite surah was yusuf right. and whenever i would visit their home on a very old cassette player on a very old tape she would be playing surah yusuf and it was very crackly very old um and uh, it was a recitation by a very famous egyptian um, imam and and so yusuf was something that was often being played as I would visit. So I decided to, to change my name and, and become uh, Yusuf, not, not legally, of course, but I became Yusuf. And the day I left Fez, I had become friends over the two weeks with uh, an owner of a restaurant, a Moroccan man. I would go there for my evening meal every, every evening. And as I was leaving the hotel, suddenly he shouted, Yusuf, Oh. And it was the first time really in my life I was hearing my Muslim name and I instinctively turned oh. to, to say goodbye to him. And it was in that moment I realized I was now on a very different path in my life. Wow. I'd made the change. I had the courage. Uh, I was um, listening to my heart. Um, and it was at that moment I realized I'm now on a new journey. Mm, mm. And so I went back to England and had mm. to face the music. Well, that was, that's my next question. I mean, what did you tell your bishop? <laughs> uh, well, you, you know, I, I, I was still a priest at this time, at this Indeed. point. Yeah. So, um, so actually, um, I, I didn't. I, I decided <clears throat> um, not really, uh, uh, maybe, I don't know if it was cowardice or, or being wise, but I actually decided to keep that private. So um, here and now, Paul, 13 years later, um, I'm going public. Um, ah. and this, this is the moment where some people, if they come across your channel, mm. will say, wow. So this is where he went. <laughs> um, so I, I left quietly. Right. I, I left quietly. I, it was very difficult because I was an NHS employee. Oh. So, so I had to fulfill my contract. So I had to hand in, I, I gave three months notice. Again, that was an extremely difficult time of my life mm -hmm. because I was already a Muslim and it was a very, very difficult time uh, that those three months. Um, but I decided my last day was a Sunday and it was the cliche. I had a, I had a cardboard box. I put my, my belongings of my office into the box and and i walked out on a quiet sunday lunchtime out of the hospital with my box and that was it uh, i i was on a whole new journey 
it was very it was very terrifying as well as exciting mm. um i had lost my my livelihood i had lost my salary i'd lost my home um i was suddenly unemployed and and so alhamdulillah through the graciousness of muslims and and non-muslims i hasten to say um they put me up i i stayed in i stayed with a a lovely muslim couple for a few weeks uh, i stayed with a dear colleague a christian for a number of weeks um because i literally now had had nothing <laughs> mm -hmm. um apart from uh, the small savings that i had in my in my bank account and so when i when i walked into the unemployment office with my cv you can imagine the raised eyebrows <laughs> Yes. <laughs> what do we do with this guy? <laughs> yes. Gosh. Um, wow. But, but alhamdulillah, uh, some months later, I, I was employed by a very good Quaker charity. Mm. And in my interview, I was very honest with mm. my journey right. of where I, where I was. And I do find the Quakers to be very all-embracing, mm -hmm. very open. And, and, you know, to their credit, they they took that on board and they still employed me it was a, a bereavement project so they were looking for somebody with a lot of experience around bereavement and pastoral care and and liaising with hospitals and so on so um alhamdulillah i got the job uh, in east london for for a year uh, but then but then i felt it was time to really break away Mm. Uh, and I, I returned to my first love. My, my first degree is actually in English literature and English language. My second degree is theology. Mm. And so, so I, I retrained as, a, as an English teacher in central London, again, which was an amazing time for me. Uh, and I then worked as a teacher in London for some time before then moving to Egypt and Cairo, where I taught uh, at a school in Cairo for a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then my Middle Eastern life uh, took off and, and it's been 11 years now that I have been living and working in the Middle East, a, a year in Egypt and uh, 10 years, almost 10 years now in Oman. Gosh. So it's been an extraordinary journey. Absolutely extraordinary. And it's been a very, very touching uh, journey uh, full of deep spiritual uh, insight and growth and uh, qu quite extraordinary. Um, I, yes. Just a, a couple of... Uh, quick questions if they are if they yes. are quick questions i mean yes. what, what advice would you give to other priests who might be considering converting to, to islam i mean your journey is so unique and so uh, infused with your own personal journey and so yes. on I, I don't know if one can give other people advice but what would you give them any general pointers to other priests because there will be other priests out there yes. who who are considering this because for many similar reasons that you have yes. mentioned and other reasons as well. Yeah. So it might be helpful if you could just say a few words, if that was possible. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think um, I wouldn't underestimate um, the, the incredible difficult decision it is to make um, as a priest, you are a public figure um, in Charlotte. You are, you are, you have been a priest with great integrity, uh, you don't want you don't want to let your congregations down. You don't want to let anyone down. You don't want to feel like you're betraying uh, your 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 the, the church of which you have been a devoted servant for so long. So it takes great courage, um, mm. I would say. It takes great courage 
Um, there are um, matters uh, of the dunya to consider. Um, you may have a family. You are possibly being housed in a church house. Uh, you have a, a monthly salary and you have a, a livelihood, a stipend um, each month. And of course, the reality is that the, the moment that you become a Muslim, all of that is taken away from you. And so it is it is a, a, a huge decision to make. But ultimately, I think ultimately, for me at least, I, I could no longer live this lie anymore. Um, mm. I, I consider myself, I, I try and be as, as authentic as I can in my life. Um, I think that's what we're called to be. And ultimately, although I felt I was standing on the edge of a precipice, I had no idea if I was going to fly or fall. Mm. I just had to make that decision. Mm. And Alhamdulillah, um, with, with Barakah, um, Christians might say grace, um, I was I was carried, and and uh, and I have found great blessings, and I have encountered so many blessings by so many Muslim brothers and sisters around the world, um, people I've met, the places I've been, um, my wife, her family, um, people from a whole variety of cultures who share this religion. Um, it's been an incredible privilege. Um, and I have a grateful heart. I think, you know, living our lives, we should have a grateful heart uh, for, for the blessings that we have um, on a daily basis. Mm. And I, I think life, life, life's journey is like walking into a room backwards. <laughs> it's, not, it's not only until we get to the other side of the room and we survey the journey that mm. we can see God, Allah, was at work in all of those moments of mm. trials and and pitfalls and errors and and on those on that journey, um, I can see now that uh, I was on that journey and there was a momentum to it, and and it couldn't stop. So take heart, have courage, um, and ultimately, ultimately, it's between you and Allah, and of course, Allah. Um, God knows the deepest part of our hearts. Allah is as close to us as our jugular vein. Um, and so I think it's being true, true to, to that ultimately, I think is important. I would say that to priests and I would say that to actually any, anybody who was considering converting. But there's more at stake if you're a priest, of course. Yes, yes. And if any um, priests wanted to uh, contact you, perhaps they can con they can uh, uh, contact me and then uh, I'll, I'll pass on their details to you in due course when you can have obviously a confidential sure. conversation. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, yeah, sure. No, no, no problem at all. Um, I'm, sure so, you're not yeah. Sorry? I'm sure you're not the last. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I, I, I and I know I am aware it causes it causes a bit of a stir and it causes some news and and alhamdulillah our, our Muslim brothers and sisters take great celebration when they hear of a priest uh, converting. Um, mm. But but I've never wanted to be a trophy. Mm. Um, I, I'm I'm a, a simple ordinary person um, who felt the call of God. Uh, mm. I did become a priest and and it's been a continuum on that journey. So when I became a Muslim. 
it wasn't in fact a complete rejection of Christianity. Yeah. It was, it was, I was going deeper. Yeah. I felt I was going deeper on the journey to truth. And, and for me, I got to a point where I realized um, I'd, I had left my home of Christianity. And in fact, I was inhabiting, I was inhabiting my new home of Islam before I'd even taken the Shahada. Yes, yes. That's what I'd realized, um, yes. of course. Of course. I, can, I can relate to that. And, and, and part of that was that um, I asked you uh, before about books and, uh, and resources that were helpful to you. And I, I, I put in the, uh, in the description below your own list of uh, books and, and videos and lectures and so on. So you can see. But I noticed two of the, two of the items on there, which I, I personally really mm -hmm. like. The Road to Mecca by Mohammed Assad, another European who embraced Excellent. Islam. This is an extraordinary uh, work. If you've not read it yet, please get get a copy. Um, it, it's uh, quite extraordinary. And and the book I'm always going on, <laughs> Islam and the Destiny of Man by another Englishman, Guy Eaton, um, who was uh, uh, based at Regent's Park Mosque, where I said my Shahada and where I met you for the first yes. time, actually. Yes. Uh, we met there. And uh, this is an extraordinary book. And I remember as reading this as a Christian and at the end of it, even though I was still intellectually kind of a Christian, my heart, to use your, had or had got, had become a Muslim. Uh, I was just so uh, impressed by the beauty and the spiritual depth and insight contained in this extraordinary work uh, that I'd already become a Muslim in in the deepest sense. Uh, yes, yes, I, I, absolutely. I think it's very much a seminal work. Uh, another yeah. book I mentioned in the list, uh, which I found very useful, was The Vision uh, of Islam. Uh, this is by a famous William uh, Chittick and also a Japanese convert to Islam, uh, Sachiko Murata. Mm. And it's a, it's a little bit of a tomb. It's quite a, quite a, a, a heavyweight book. But if you mm. wanted one book which encapsulates uh, the, the, the religion and the theology of Islam, I bought this in uh, Zamzam Books mm. um, some years ago. I hope it's still in print. Uh, this is also, I think, a seminal text. Um, worth worth reading, which I came across, which is also very good. Um, it's it's many books in one, as it were. I've not read that. I must I must get a copy. Actually, yes, yeah, the Vision of Islam. It's it's very good. Yeah, you mentioned Guy Eaton, Dr. Martin Lings uh, is a, another figure, and also um, I was absolutely amazed when I discovered that the great great scholar Al Ghazali, mm. um, and Al Ghazali has as you know so many uh, texts mm. and, and there's a wonderful wonderful documentary on youtube called the alchemist of happiness which explores his life and his teachings um it's very accessible um and i think Ham uh, sheikh hamza yusuf sheikh abdul hakim murad speak in this documentary they are two great modern day figures uh, mm. hamza yusuf is american abdul hakim murad is english um, I think they are both well worth listening to um, mm. when you are exploring um, Islam. And there are a whole wealth of, of books and YouTube channels out there. Mm. As you know, some of them are excellent. There's some terrible, terrible <laughs> stuff uh, which is out there. And so I think you have to have discernment. Yes. You, you have to know, you know, listen, if this doesn't feel right, I think walk away from it mm. um, and uh, just try and find and discover um you know those, those people scholars past and present who are worth listening to mm -hmm. and just a shout out quickly for young for young muslims or young people exploring islam 
um, I, I would recommend there are four four YouTube channels that I really love and really explore what it's like as a convert to be oh. living to be living oh. an Islamic life. Um, there is a, a, a South Korean guy called Daud Kim and he converted to Islam and he has a very big YouTube following and he's he shares his new Islamic journey and he's tra he travels to different countries. Um, he's worth watching. Jay, Jay Palfrey is an English, a young English man who has also converted to Islam and he travels to mainly Muslim majority countries. And at the moment he's in Cairo for Ramadan He's got a huge following on YouTube, uh, millions of people. And you, you watch yes. his video, you think, I can see why. He's, he's very compelling. Um, yes. Yeah, he's encouraging yes. Ramadan. And I noticed, yes. yeah, I saw that. Yeah. 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 He, he's, he's great. Um, and um, again, there was a young, a young English teenager who lives in Jeddah, in Saudi Arabia. Um, obeyed, obeyed Fox. Again, very unassuming. He's living his life as a Muslim with his family. And it's, I think it's just a lovely, uh, he, ha he has lovely videos for young, for young people, particularly teenagers, Muslim or not. Um, and he's very natural in the way he talks about his Islamic life um, in Saudi Arabia. And finally, there is a, an English sister called Aisha Rosalie, mm. who also, I think, has a wonderful channel where she really speaks very humbly and genuinely from her heart about her own journey to, to Islam. And um, there are many channels out there, but those four um, I think are, are, are very useful if you just want to watch uh, something and, and hear about people's stories. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, uh, there are other much more academic, uh, weightier uh, YouTube channels, which are also very good. Your channel, Paul, yeah, your your channel, Paul, uh, is very good. I stumbled across your channel by chance. Oh. I realized who it was, somebody that I'd known many years ago. And I think you're, you have such a, a wide range of, of, of subjects and a wide range of scholars that come mm. onto your channel, um, I think is, is excellent. Mm, mm, thank you. It's very kind of you. I'm very, very blessed indeed. Um, my last question, um, I mean... About your hopes and plans for the future, but you, you strike me as someone um, who's not only just very eloquent uh, and and very um, able to articulate concepts and feelings. Thank you. What what, what 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 about you writing something? What about <clears throat> expressing this in a in a more public forum, whether it be YouTube or in books, for example? Um, yes. Would that be something you'd be willing to explore? Now you have perhaps more publicly uh, known yes. now. Um, um, what are your hopes and plans for the future? Um, you know, I, before I agreed to come on your channel, I, I thought to myself, why now? Mm. Why have I decided after 13 years to go public? And interestingly, of course, I've now been a Muslim longer than I was an ordained priest. Oh. Uh, I was ordained a priest in 1999. I've now been a Muslim almost 13 years. So that, mm. that's interesting in itself. But I, I think it's taken me this long to really be at peace in my Islamic skin, if you like, uh, and, and to go on that journey and to process quite a lot of, of feelings um, on, on that journey. And so it felt right. I discovered your channel. Um, mm. You're somebody I, I respect and admire greatly. So it felt like everything was coming together. Mm. 
Um, and it felt absolutely right to now speak and to, uh, in a sense, uh, speak with confidence now about yeah. my journey. I am, I, I do love words uh, and I do mm. love writing. I write, I write poetry. Um, mm. And some, and, and, and perhaps you're right that in due course, um, this may be something that I now want to explore in some way, whether mm. that be through the spoken word or through what the writing. Mm. Um, but that's something I, I, I would consider. I do feel as, a fa as my family, we're at a crossroads in our life. We've been in the Middle East 11 years. Mm. We are not sure what to do. We're not sure whether to stay in the Middle East, Oman or elsewhere. We're not sure whether to return to the UK. Uh, um, that fills me with some trepidation. Mm. Uh, so we are, we are, I feel I'm at this, uh, a new chapter is opening. Mm. I have no idea what that is. Um, but I think coming on today and speaking with you, Paul, uh, is the first step mm. of that new chapter. Mm. Um, and I feel now um, by doing this, um, I've, I've opened the door slightly mm. um, and I'm going to see where, where Allah takes me on, on this journey now. Mm. Gosh, I'm 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 not I'm going to resist temptation and to make suggestions because I'm not oh. going to suggestions. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to let God guide you um, to where He wants you to be, and I'm sure He will because you're very clearly very open to His guidance, um, and which is an inspiration uh, to us all, particularly um, this Ramadan. Um, well, I I think um, maybe we can. That's a natural conclusion. I think. Just, just one, just one word. There, there was one more, one more Arabic word I forgot to mention, oh, which please. again may be, may be very appropriate for Ramadan. Is when I discovered the word Tauba, oh, right. uh, and and this this, um, or maybe Christians would relate to repentance hmm. of of coming to Allah uh, with Tauba, with a, with a penitent heart, and and asking for uh, forgiveness. Um, and and it's a direct relationship, of course, coming to Allah, uh, our Creator, with with Tauba, I think is the first step to that softening of the heart that I talked about, or, or mm. the clearing away of the rust of 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 um, that jihad with our nafs, with our ego. Um, I think so often we are driven by our egos, and I think what Islam does, authentic Islam, is it softens it softens the heart. And I think, you know, I want to end with those four words that I shared. Tawheed, firstly, taqwa, barakah, the blessings, and tawbah. Mm. I think those four words, when I discovered them, just opened up uh, a whole new pathway and discovery um, and relationship with, uh, with our God, with Allah. So, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah. And, and going forward, I pray that, Again, this Arabic word risk. What is my risk for mm. me and my family? That I follow that path and it will be khair. It will be good for me and for my family, inshallah. Um, mm. So it's been wonderful to talk, Paul. Well, it's been extraordinary. Uh, thank you so much indeed, uh, Yusuf, for sharing with your extraordinary journey from uh, the Christian priesthood in London and Kent to, to Oman, where, uh, where you are now. And uh, I uh, do hope uh, you'll be blessed in the future. I'm sure you will. And you continue your journey wherever it will take you. Uh, yes. Back in England or uh, yes. in the Middle East still, I'm, I'm sure that God will, will continue to use you. 
um, in interesting ways. And uh, and likewise uh, for you, Paul. Likewise, Alhamdulillah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, uh, on on that note, thank you very much, uh, Yusuf, for your time. And um, thank you so much. And th thank you. Until next time. Yes, inshallah. Masalama, masalama. Thank you, Paul. Thank you.